All right. Sorry about that. Didn't have my mic on. All right. If you're uh, with us tonight, we, uh, we're glad to have you. Uh, as always, Richard's standing by to be a blessing every way he can, so let him know you're there. Uh, any prayer requests, we want to be able to be a blessing to you. And uh, you'll notice in the bottom right-hand corner of the screen, you'll see a prayer tab. And uh, if you'll click on that, let us know. Uh, I promise you it's private, it's secure, nobody sees it but one source. So uh, feel free to share as your heart does. But let us know how we can be praying for you or any questions you have uh, for us at church, and we'll be a blessing to you. So again, glad you're with us tonight. And uh, if you were here, you could have free popcorn. And if you can see popcorn between my teeth, I apologize, but it's good. So, but anyway, we are going to uh, uh, continue on here. Matter of fact, we're going to be in the 13th chapter of Hebrews. And, uh, and uh, not saying it may or may not close us out. And uh, we kind of started uh, expediting it here and got some plans for the first of the year, praying over and praying through. So, we're looking forward to announce, hopefully here very soon, uh, with the new year upon us. But we're going to talk about something tonight that there's one of those statements it, it, it's, that gets uttered a lot in uh, Christendom. And I think there's a lot of times that we don't have a, a depth of understanding of what we're saying. Um, and again, when we touch on things like this, we, we always just skim the surface because some of these are doctrinal truths that uh, we have to walk in a lot deeper to get to the depths of it or we could get to a, get a lot deeper with it so when we talk about it sometimes i don't want to leave with leave you with more questions but you may have more questions and that's fair you can always reach out to us we'll get those answers for you but what we're going to talk about tonight is uh following jesus who's ever heard that term i'm following jesus and um we need to understand always when we, again, make statements like that, there is scriptural definition to that. And I think sometimes, again, we say it without understanding the fullness of it. We say it vague. We say it, you know, uh, kind of in passing. So here it says, when we say we're following Jesus, it's not just a statement or a profession. Just to say it doesn't define it. Maybe say it that way. Does that make sense? I'm following Jesus. Okay, well, what do you mean you're following Jesus? Well, I'm following Jesus. No, you can't define that with just a statement, especially when there's biblical, uh, you know, a biblical answer to it, and that's what we need to see. It's an embodiment. It's not a statement. It's an embodiment in Christ's likeness. That's what it is. When you're saying I'm... I'm following Jesus. You're, you should be scripturally making a profound a statement that embodies what it means to walk like Christ. You know, and, and Paul, you know, we touched on, I think, last week. Paul made the statement, follow me as I follow Christ. Christ says, be ye Christ-like. So these are commandments. So if we're going to say, uh, you know, I, I just want to follow Jesus. I, I, I'm a follower of Jesus, you know, or I'm following Jesus. Then we need to make sure we understand the depths of that statement because it's a lot deeper than, again, just a statement or a profession. 
It's Christ-likeness. So what it does, if we are going to follow Jesus, if we're trying to truly scripturally follow Jesus, it requires a head change. In a lot of ways, we got to change, you know, maybe change our stinking thinking on some things. But it's a head change, and it deals with our life and our purpose. And meaning, to follow Jesus is to understand that he has placed us in our community to be actual agents of his love. Catch that? Now, this, this embodies what Hebrews 13 is about. Hebrews 13 is about the love of Christ and embodying the love of Christ towards his, you know, towards his creation, our brothers and sisters. So, what it means to follow Jesus is to understand he's placed us specifically in our Judea and Samaria, our community, to be actual agents of his love. So now let's go back. I'm a follower of Jesus. Not a statement, it's an embodiment in Christ's likeness. So, how do we define Christ? But well, it's used of scripture. It says, God is what? God is love. I mean, that, that, is the, that is the overwhelming, powerful definition of God. What is God? God is love. God is perfect love. Agape, unconditional love. Okay, so if we're going to embody Christ, if we're going to be a follower of Christ then we need to be agents of that love. Not just recipients of it, agents of it. I saw a quote today. It says, it calls us to be a light or a mirror that reflects the light. One of the do, do something. Be a light that points people, gives them the opportunity to see Christ, to illuminate Christ, so others can come to him, or at least be a mirror that reflects that light. We should always be putting off light in some form or fashion. And that light embodies Christ in our life. So we do that by seeking. We do this by seeking as Christ did. What did Christ do that, in, that illustrated his love so much for us? And besides the cross, what, what, what did he do in his ministry that showed forth his love? Huh? Yeah? And, it, and he came to... We know to seek and save those who are lost, and he illustrated his love, did he not, by serving man, by serving creation? Yeah. Christ embodied that love through the greatest acts of servitude to the point of washing the feet of his own creation, both in big and small. So, if, again, if we're going to follow Christ, we're going to make this, uh, this is an embodiment of Christ's likeness, then we need to be sharing forth the love of Christ, and then we need to do it through servitude, just like Christ did it. Christ was love, and he served to illustrate that love for his own creation. You know, there, there's a saying that, that we're all familiar with, nobody knows, nobody cares how much you know until what? Do they know how much you care? And so the, the, in the best way, and what's the most profound, easiest, most effective way to show somebody you care? To serve them, to meet, help, them help meet their needs, uh, be there for them, lift them up, give them a hand, encourage them, pray for them. When they know you truly care, 
now you're going to have an opportunity to be the light that God's called us to be. And we do that through servitude. Thus, it's required to say... We back there we go sorry about that if you're watching online my batteries went out in the and then almost just broke <laughs> so, so anyway so now we're, we're to servitude and how this servitude embodies what it means to be christ-like to impact his love so i have a question for you who is someone that's made a difference or an impact in your life in a positive way okay jay in what way how Okay, being there for you, okay? Anybody else? Who can say they can acknowledge somebody in their life that's made an impact in a positive way in your life? Ah, oh, you're eighth grade Sunday school teacher? Wow. Mm. Wow. Like she taught. That's right. Terry? Oh. <laughs> You're easily impressed. <laughs> uh, so, Charlotte's, uh, I appreciate that. Charlotte's talking about her eighth grade Sunday school teacher. I know I'm asking questions and online you can't hear the responses. But this is a good, I know we could, uh, you know, Julia's back there now with our kids having their, their Christmas party, but we could walk these kids through, and I, t I can guarantee you a vast majority of them with clarity would point towards Deborah. This made an impact in their lives in these first, you know, four years we've been here, or five years now. So these Sunday school teachers are people that have a tremendous impact. I, I can remember a youth pastor I had when I was a freshman when I had so much chaos going on in my life and uh, the things that went through my head and unfortunately the things I, were, I was doing, he was aware of some of those things and he, he, he never criticized me or judged me. He just kept on loving me. And, and he'd find opportunities and he would never say, Todd, don't do that. I can't believe you're doing that. The Bible says right here. He never did that. But he, he, I knew he loved me and I knew Without him saying it, I knew he was right, and I was doing what I wasn't supposed to be doing, and he got that across to me by loving me. And when I needed things, when I needed a phone call or I needed a, a conversation, uh, a couple of times I was in a jam that I called him, and he was there. And never one time did he condemn what I was doing. He just loved me that whole time. I was a you know, snot-nosed, arrogant you know, freshman in high school, it didn't have a clue what I was doing. So I think if we all take time, we can point to people in our lives that had impactful moments, or at least was that light or a mirror that reflected that light that allowed us to get our eyes 
or set our eyes on Christ in a positive way. So this happens sometimes through prolonged relationships. Now, in Charlotte's case, here she is, uh, the age she is now, and, uh, and she remembers an eighth grade Sunday school teacher. Um, you still have it? Wow. <laughs> there you go. So see, these things are so impactful, we hold on to them. Uh, sometimes, though, they come through the smallest act of generosity at a time when we need it the most and nobody else was there. And this person that you know, but you don't know them in an in a intimate, emotional way, but you know them, they're a friend, you know, beyond an acquaintance, a church friend, but you're, and then out of the blue, they respond to you in a way and serve you in a way that you always remember. And you think, I can't believe that person did that for me. So it can come about in a myriad of different ways. But our thing is that when we say we're following Christ, we got to understand what we're following. That's a profound statement to make. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean I got saved and I go to church. And, and, and I'm not saying that's what everybody means by that, but I think there's some shallow understanding that that's kind of what people do. Yeah, I follow Jesus, I got saved, and I go to church. That doesn't really mean you're following Christ. It doesn't mean you're embodying everything that Christ is in his likeness. So one of these greatest impacts of, you know, of Jesus is love, but his love shouldn't stop with us. We can't let that love be something that we hoard. It's something we're supposed to be stewards over. Something that we're supposed to, again, pay forward in the same way that we receive it through Christ. So following Jesus calls us to love others with the same sincerity, servitude, and sacrifice that Christ made towards us. Now, those are some, those are some challenging steps to love others by, is it not? Let's be honest. If you're going to love to a point that it's sincere. Well, sincere love is going to be sacrificial love. If not, then it's not sincere love. It's, it's, it's friendship. It's not love. So for love to be sincere, it's got to be sacrificial. And if, you, if you're not serving, then you really can't sacrifice. You're, you're not giving. Oh, I love you sincerely, but I offer nothing to you but words. That, that, that doesn't embody sincerity so christ loved us with sincerity he loved us through servitude and he loved us through sacrifice all the way to the cross so now with that foundation and we don't have much more besides that now let's jump into hebrews here and let's read verses one through six we're, we're just going to get through through verse nine it says uh, uh but uh, we're going to stop right here on this opening sentence let what what does it say? What's that second word? Ah, let brotherly love continue. We got to stop right there. So if for us to be a follower of Christ is to love the way Christ loved, the very first thing the author gives us here by inspiration of the Holy Spirit is to let us love with brotherly love. 
Okay, so now to love with brotherly love, and we know there's more than one type of love that's used in Scripture, do we not got to obviously define brotherly love? Well, of course we do. Well, this is the Greek word Philadelphia. And that's that word that means fraternal affection. It, it, it's, that, it's that closeness. It's the definition that's being used here. In the Vulgate Latin, it means, it means like in you or to cherish. So it's to love something with this fraternal affection that in the Latin use means you, that it's like part of you. It's in you. The person, the thing that you love it, it is part of your being. And it's something you cherish. Now, we don't cherish everything in life. We're fond of some things. We like some things. Then we start tolerating some things. And then we get into avoiding things. So not everything has an equal affection by way of our emotions. Well, this Philadelphia means that we're to cherish. We're to love in a cherishing way. Now, a lot of times when we use this word, you know, we cherish something. We cherish our, our spouse, our children, our parents, you know, family. Or, you know, maybe we can get out to those in our inner circle. Maybe you've had friends for 10, 15, 20 years that, that know fairly intimate, detailed, personal things about you. You can say, I, I cherish those people. I cherish that relationship. But here's the thing. It can't stop with our inner circle. This is where the challenge is. It's a deeper calling than that. When we think of cherishing something, we all see a, all, all, excuse, excuse me, often associated with those that are on our inner circle, our closest friends. Yet God's calling us to cherish beyond, beyond our inner circle. Look what it says in verse 2. Let brotherly love continue. Be not forgetful to entertain your spouse, your family members, your kids. Strangers. So, first thing the author tells us, hey, look, you need to love with brotherly love if you're going to be a follower of Christ. Now, to do that, I'm using this word Philadelphia, which means this fraternal affection. It means something that you cherish. is something that's part of you, and you need to apply that so far outside your circle that it encompasses strangers. Now, let's go back and remember how Christ loved with sincerity, with servitude, and with sacrifice. If we're going to be a follower of Christ, can we love strangers like that? Oh, that's hard. It is hard. So, let's go on. It continues. Verse 2, strangers, for thereby some have entertained even angels unaware. Love that verse. Then now look at verse 3. Let's go to another level. Remember them that are always there and have your back and always help you and always. Is that who it's pointing out here? Oh, that are in bonds. Is bond with them. Did you catch that? 
Remember those that are in bonds and love them in a way that when they're in the bonds of life, that you're there with them. And them which also suffer adversity is being yourselves also in the body of suffering. Do you understand the depths of the love when we say that we're following Christ? what Christ is calling us to? You understand why that can't just be a flippant statement that we make? No, I'm a follower of Christ. Are we? Or do we follow so far, then our love starts having limitations? Well, that, that's kind of too broad-reaching. I, I, I can't really offer a cherishing, nurturing, sacrificial, sincere servitude towards that far outside my circle. Now, can we love perfect like Christ? Of course we can. So it's not about loving perfectly. The challenge is here, what we're told in Hebrews 13, okay, well, say if you're going to be a follower of Christ, you need to understand what you're taking on. So you kind of see when Christ says, if you're going to follow me in Luke 17 and be my disciples, you've got to hate your father, your brother, your mother, and you've got to go and love the brethren or love the people to hopes to lead them to be the brethren. So God's calling us beyond our inner circle. He's calling us to strangers. He's calling us to those in bond, those in adversity, as if we're there with them. Maybe we'd rephrase it this way in, in, in our English, you know, English language and say, love such others as if you're in that position yourself. Love them the way you would want somebody to love you if you were in that position. So what makes verse 2 a difficult command to follow? Why do you think verse 2 is so difficult? And you can add verse 3 with it. Anybody want so difficult to love in this Philadelphia love that Christ is calling us to? Chime in if you have a thought. Here's a personal belief. Not scriptural, just a belief I have. I believe personally that even as Christians... We disenfranchise ourselves spiritually, emotionally, and scripturally when it comes to love. The reason being, when we start defining the love that Christ embodied, and we try to emulate that love, I think that we understand and we see the emotional toll required to do it and how much it can cost us sometimes. And then in that cost, when we go that route and we offer it, then maybe we have experience of being hurt or taken advantage of or to no avail or to no gain on the other end. Not that we're trying to gain something, it offered, they did nothing with it. So you get a little callous and you're like, ah, been there, done that. I'll, I'll love a little bit, then what we start doing, we love a little bit, and we get a little bit of response. 
Oh, okay. Well, then I'll love a little bit more, a little bit more. And so what we do, we tiptoe in it. As long as you're reciprocating in some way that you're, 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 you're showing growth or this is healthy, well, then I'll, I'll keep on loving. Is that the way we're told to love? Or are we just told to love? We're told to love all the way, not with stipulations, not with expectations, not with if we gain something or only if we see them responding positively, you know, scripturally. And so we pull back. So I think we disenfranchise ourselves. In doing so, we lose, here's a problem, we lose both sympathy, which is our emotional feeling to a situation, you know, the result is then when we lose sympathy, then we lose empathy, which is the ability to understand one situation. So we become distant and tolerant and judgmental because it's a whole lot easier to love without getting emotionally attached, spiritually speaking. And so what it does, it dulls us. And then our love is not Philadelphia love. It becomes conditional. Or through disenfranchising ourselves spiritually, now we don't have to deal with the emotional burden or strain or cost associated with it. So what do we do? Then we have to look in the spiritual mirror. We know Christ loves us that way, does he not? Does Christ love us a little bit and wait for us to respond? No. Christ loves us fully. He's all in. And yet, how many times in our personal walks have we, I guess you can say willfully, sometimes ignorantly, a lot of times selfishly, abused that love? And yet when we experience that and it's revealed to us and the Holy Spirit convicts us and we go to our knees and we seek that repentance, do we not immediately or should immediately feel that love? Because that's what it does. It bridges us back to the love of Christ. Not that it left, we left it. And so, again, I know, I know Jesus is Jesus, and we're not Jesus, but what we do need to understand, if we're going to proclaim and we want to be actual scriptural followers of Jesus, excuse me, then we must now become sacrificial and spiritual stewards with the blessings that we get by way of Jesus. This is what he's calling us to. He's calling us to love how he loved so our question, and I'll be through, we can talk about it if you like. Tonight is, are we scripturally following Jesus? I'm not talking about just following all the commandments. I'm talking about in this subject matter. And are we doing it by the way of true brotherly love to everybody we encounter? That's what we got to answer. This is what Hebrews 13 is challenging us with. Are we loving with brotherly love? In verses 4 and 7, 
or four through seven, it goes out, goes on. Y'all let you read it. It points out two areas to deal concerning our motive. Uh, we got to, you know, it talks about sexual purity and honor, and it talks about avoiding covetedness. And, and I think that's important when it comes to love, that we're not loving in a way that we're expecting something back. That, that's the wrong motive. When we're loving with something other than brotherly love, if we're loving with stipulation, in the way we're, we're creeping into covetedness, we're, we're wanting something, we're wanting to get something back from this to, to please us or to satisfy us. And then it goes on in verses eight through nine, it talks about we combat that through humility and contentment with our love we have in Christ. Well, when I love that way, I get taken advantage of so many times. I can tell you stories after stories of years in the ministry and serving others that I've been, you know, taken advantage of financially, emotionally, physically. And, and, and you know, well, that's okay. That's okay. Because as long as we're content with the love we have in Christ, do we need the love from others? No. We got the love we need through Christ. Because Christ does love us perfectly. He does love us with that Philadelphia love, that agape love. If we have contentment in that, then that allows us to love unconditionally. And if somebody takes advantage of us, that's between them and the Lord. What we don't want to do, we don't want to make it have to be a three-way conversation. When they get through it, the Lord, then the Lord has to deal with us because we quit loving them or we chose not to love them. You know, we, back to that, we chose to disenfranchise ourselves from the situation, you know, through empathy and sympathy, just to avoid what we want to avoid. So what are some questions, what are some thoughts when you look at this love that we're called to when we say we're going to be followers of Christ? Has anybody been in a situation without details to where you, you've taken these steps, you walked this path in Christ-likeness and love to only be taken advantage of? Anybody ever been there? Yeah, I think we can all say that. Sometimes from those closest to us to obviously strangers. Who has done it though and ha has seen the rewards of the light of Christ showing through it and somebody seeing the love of Christ. Who's experienced that? Can you share something, Deborah?
Yeah. When the next gesture of love is going to be the one that breaks their heart. Exactly. Let me interject this. Not only here in Hebrews 13, but in scriptures, are we ever commanded to love outside of truth? Well, let me put it this way. Are we, able, are we ever required or asked to love somebody? Sacrificial love. I'm talking about servitude. We're supposed to love everybody. I'm talking about that, this servitude. The sacrificial servitude. Do we have to serve or are we called to serve outside of truth? Let me give you an example. Maybe I'm not getting this out right. Deborah mentioned abortion, a big topic this year. Can you say, well, if you really love me, you would understand this is what I want to do. Can you give me a ride? Or can you walk me, stay with me, hold my hand spiritually, emotionally as I go through with this abortion? Is that the love God's calling us to do? No. 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 That's not, we're not called to love in the sense of serving outside of truth. Oh, I love you. I don't have to go with you through this to prove I love you. I love you in truth. I love you unconditionally. Now, if you go through this, it doesn't change my love for you. Okay? There's always hope. We got God, we got hope. But we're never required to love in that servitude, sacrificial way outside of truth. This comes more inside of our circle when it comes to our spouse and our children and immediate family. I love you, son. I love you, daughter. But I'm not going to be a part of that. that that's, that's the easy part to do with strangers. No, I don't want anything to do with that. You're not emotionally attached to them. They're strangers. Got yourself in that situation, I'll pray for you, blah, blah, blah. When now, when that's inside your circle, how many times do we go outside of truth and love unscripturally because they're in our circle? Does that make sense? So it really flip-flops with strangers. So anybody else have a love story that brought forth the love or the light of Christ in somebody's life or even saw it?
Yeah. No, very, I mean, great example. So, I mean, there, there are so many, of course, I'll see in scriptures too, but it, again, I think if we all just, you know, took time and slowed down and thought of times that God has, has used you to love, uh, you know, a lot of times we say love the unlovable or what people say are the unlovable. But love, you know, that unconditional love, always be there for them, you know. Here's the thing, especially in America, 99.9% of the time, people know right and wrong. And so when they're in bonds, when they're in afflictions, if it's by their own doing, that's not the time they need their sins pointed out. That's when they need to know that God still loves them, and they can get their way out of what this, you know, this season they sowed. And, you know, the harvest is coming, yes, to a certain degree, but yet there's going to be another spring to lay a new crop. And our job is to help them get to the point that they can plant, you know, sow new seeds, you know, immediately. So, uh, you know, most people don't need their sins out, pointed out in a lot of situations. A lot of times if they knew the love or experienced the love, that we're supposed to share through Christ, a lot of times that can be the convicting power that causes them to acknowledge their sin or acknowledge their wrongdoing or acknowledge their wrong choices and understand that there is hope and uh, that love shines light on that hope. So, unless anybody has any other comments, so when we talk about following Jesus, we've got to understand the depths of that statement and what we're called to a lot more than again just a statement or a comment it's it's a it's an embodiment of christ likeness and that's to love with that sincerity that servitude and that sacrifice that god loves us by and not just those within our circles but god gives us a list of who and he starts with strangers Yeah, that Satan definitely wants to, to to shield, disguise, discourage somebody with their sin. Because, uh, again, the love of Christ is where the power is, as Deborah says. So people can start experiencing and realizing that God still loves them, irregardless of what they just chose to do or what they just did. God still loves them. That's what Christ is, or that's what Satan is wanting them to lose sight of. Oh, you're done now. God's done with you. No, he's not. No. But a lot of times, even Christians come along and kind of support that. Oh, you did what? Oh, and, you know, I'll stay away from them. They're, they got some back, they're in the back. You know what I'm saying? No, love them. Love. Love takes away a multitude of sins. Love conquers all. We can go on and on about love. Amen? All right, let's pray, and uh, we'll do our offering. Father, thank you for tonight, and Lord, to add some clarity to, uh, to a simple statement that we've all made, that I'm just trying to follow Jesus, and 
It's a fair statement. It's a good goal, but we need to understand scripturally what that embodies. And it's so much more than just a, a religious statement or, uh, you know, Christianese. There's depth to that. And that uh, if we're going to love, we're going to follow Jesus, then we are commanded and called to love in the same way that Jesus loved. And uh, with that brotherly love uh, that's all-encompassing and uh, without... Uh, uh, any stipulations, and it starts with those uh, outside of our circle. It even starts with strangers and those that are afflicted. So help us to embody that. Uh, it's a great season, obviously, to do it in, uh, to start it in, that we can just carry it forward into this new year. And it's something that we uh, we live by, not just a seasonal love, but a, a day-to-day love to those that we encounter. We thank you for your truths. We thank you for your love towards us. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Friday night, the 23rd at 7 o'clock. Come join us if you can uh, here at the church. So we uh, hopefully you can join us for that. But thank you for being with us.